welcome to our new podcast series, ESG Insights, part of the RegTech Roundup podcast, where we will examine regulatory business and industry developments from our member community on the topic of environmental, social, and governance, ESG, under the wider umbrella of sustainability. My name is Donna Bales. I'm the founder of the Canadian Regulatory Technology Association and the host of this series. For those of you who do not know the Canadian Regulatory Technology Association, we're a not-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key reg tech stakeholders, financial institutions, technology service providers, and the regulators. For our first show of this series, I'm delighted to have Johnny Matamore, Managing Director and Global Head of Risk and Sustainability Finance at First Derivatives. I'm really excited about today's show as we will examine some of the challenges capital markets participants are facing as ESG continues to evolve, but also hear about some of the collaborative efforts First Derivatives is leading. With the magnitude of the challenge ahead, collaboration will be key to meeting this global challenge. Welcome, Johnny, to today's show. Yes, hello, Donna. I think often when a lot of people in financial services think about ESG, they immediately think about the task of reporting, but that's not really the objective of the regulators. Uh, I, my understanding is the underlying element is valuation. Johnny, can you start us off today and speak a little to this? Yes, I've, I've very much um, found that in all the discussions, I've had with different financial institutions, in particular with banks, is that they do fall into the habit of um, looking at this yeah, through a backward looking lens. And there is so much reporting in finance today based on financial information um, from the traditional markets areas, everything from um, trade reporting through to risk reporting. But in this instance, it isn't about just reporting some pockets of data. This is actually a fundamental shift in the business practices uh, of these firms. And what that means is the reporting is just the first attempt by the regulator to get a handle on where are these institutions with understanding the extra data they need and how they're going to enrich their financial data to understand the exposures they've got. So it's actually only a starting point. This is only going to get more complicated because you'll go from a basic understanding of what your exposure is. And then you'll have to go through a whole series of risk analysis, concentration analysis, and other analytics. And then ultimately we'll move to the capital models and try to understand how best to incorporate this data into adjustments to the capital. It's all about solvency. It's not about reporting. Yeah, um, I, I know from my experience with MIFID 1, you know, I know it was sort of the first foray into transaction reporting in a, in a big way, but there was, um, there was often a very tactical um, approach to that. And um, I just don't think that that really works with ESG. I mean, it's such a, it, you know, because of its, um, not only its financial implications, but societal implications. Um, I wonder, um, Johnny, if you could explain uh, a little bit uh, how, you know, that you mentioned the data challenge. How are um, some of the banks that you speak with um, handling uh, those challenges? Where do you think they are in terms of their maturity? I, I think um, it is a very immature space. 
I think the outreach programs between banks and their counterparties is actually quite underdeveloped. They they may hold some information, but it's very sparse. It's not in um, the format they often need it to be, so it can be put into machine-readable code and distributed to the users. So we, we, we've got a combination of problems with the banks that they're really struggling with. One is uh, identifying the right sets of data that they should be searching for. So starting with a foundational taxonomy. The second is then trying to identify what they have already and what their clients may have already. And then somehow the third step, bringing that information together and to see how sufficient and timely is that information. So what we're really looking at in the first stage is can banks create very much consolidated and auto automated gap analysis of what they think they need and what they actually have. And then repeating that at quite a reasonable frequency. It's no use doing it once a year mm -hmm. because we're looking at a 2030 target initially, eight years out, where most firms want to halve their carbon emissions, um, uh, their financing by the portfolios. So if they need, if they wish to do that, even if they did it annually, they only have eight data points. That's not really sufficient to actually manage a transition. You need many more intermediate points. Uh, I, I would say automating this on a monthly basis will be the ultimate goal so that people have a degree of granularity. Uh, and quarterly reporting to the market, at some point, I expect to become normal, just like earnings reportings. Oh, interesting. And um, in terms of, um, like, how are... Um, financial service institutions mobilizing teams like what does that look like yes and um, i think they're really struggling with un understanding the basic underlying taxonomies um the dominant taxonomy the leading taxonomy in the world at the moment is the eu and um, people have opined that it's overly complex but people don't even have a handle on what this looks like so visualizing these these taxonomies is really key we're, and we've encouraged banks to actually adopt tooling so they can see the quantum between something such as TCFD, which is the foundation principles from which most of these regulations are, are being based on, to what actually happens when um, uh, an or organization has to implement a very um, complex deep taxonomy. And when we compare the TCFD taxonomy, which can be understood by a human, just looking at what effectively can be reduced to a one pager with the eu taxonomy the eu taxonomy is well beyond any single human being able to ingest it and comprehend it it can only be managed by machines it's too voluminous too complex the mappings uh, um, are extremely difficult for humans to actually um, ingest and, and that's where the banks in my view have got to they finally realized uh or are realizing that this is a huge um automated problem it's it's beyond humans doing it in a manual way with a little bit of machines it is substantially machines okay so um but they're not at that stage yet in the implementation right they're still kind of a, it's still really in the kind of assessment yes you're yeah. quite right a, a lot a lot of going through this manual process of gathering information analyzing um what is the um, sustainable uh, impact? Um, and also, you know, how does it pass certain tests that are laid out in different regulations? And, and that 
that manual process informs them but it won't solve the problem and what we've seen is people looking at much larger scale data fabric solutions and um, nearly everybody I, I've talked to is leaning immediately that this will be a cloud native solution um, not just because cloud is is a, a technology gaining traction but because the volumes of data and the uh, and the disparate nature of the data means you have to collect it from so many different sources and you've got to marry that data with the balance sheet data of a, of a bank so to do that you, you've actually got external sources and internal sources that need to be merged and trying to do that in a traditional way of data uh, market data uh, on-prem uh, or hybrid and um, generally is extremely difficult because the data is not mature and we're going to go through a cycle where the data people are using from external sources is going to have to be quality assured at quite a high frequency. So you may be switching in different vendors. You're not going to have the stability that we have in market data. So that, that necessitates a very agile architecture. And it seems to me that the only way one can do this is with a data fabric. It's interesting you mentioned the comparison to market data, but you know, if you think about market data, it's been, you know, many decades to get to the where we are with market data quality. So, and we kind of don't have that time in this instance. So, you know, are there lessons learned or from, you know, previous implication implementations and, you know, the market data space um, that can be leveraged for the banks? I, I think most certainly there are. Um, one of the things that comes up all the time is um, how much of this new data is going to be open source. And everybody has been burnt with paying for market data. Uh, I've read statistics that you know, market data continues to increase in price uh, for no discernible reason when, um, uh, when computation and um, distribution methods are actually going down in price. So there are, there, there are, many arguments for um, having open, more open source data here. Um, the, the other thing is how do you distribute this data? And, and ease of distribution, ease of storage, and not having a very good handle on what the scale is involved for storing compute, again, lends itself to the cloud environment. And, and we haven't traditionally distributed market data in that manner. Um, there's a lot of copyright control around market data, who consumes it, right down to individual terminals um, in, in banks. So uh, the open source element actually could really transform the speed of transition. And the less open source data we have, I think would be hugely detrimental to the transition. And you, you see that in a lot of regulators. They are, they are pushing hard for this data to be as widely available as open source as possible. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I mean, if you think about like, you know, MIFID one, part of the, the, the guideline was to make data more available and it, it ha that hasn't come to fruition. They can't make that same mistake. And when you think about the societal element of this, like it's, it's, I totally agree that it needs to be more widely available um, so that we can 
actually achieve the more broader uh, financial and societal objectives. But where, Johnny, are we with um, open source? Are, are there any initiatives in that area that you're aware of? There, there are quite a lot of initiatives around the climate risk data. And there are also movements um, in certain geographical territories for open source um, forms of data. One of the difficulties with that is that the, the focus has been on actual data. Um, I think there hasn't been enough of a focus on proxy data. And in the same way that you'd want the data to be open source on the actual, you'd want the proxy methods also to be transparent and open source. Um, I don't think people have quite realized how prolific proxy data is used in the banking system to, to um, measure solvency. Every credit curve in the world and used by every bank that we map counterparties' internal credit ratings to is effectively a, a proxy for that credit rating and its probability of default. And the loss, you know, the recover is given default. There are proxies galore in all of these models. And I, I think the, the two elements around data are if you can't get the, um, the actual data, what is the proxy method you're going to adopt and how are the regulators going to approve that? Because they're quite prescriptive at the moment, the guidelines on which proxies you can use and how. And they're done very much from the bottom up level uh, at the individual industry activity. Um, whereas a lot of proxies are done from the top down level of gathering market information and actually creating um, macro curves which um, all different classes um, can be mapped to. And people are looking at that for carbon emissions, other greenhouse gases. Um, they'll eventually look at it for um, you know, nature and biodiversity data, because as much as we would like to believe that people are taking this seriously and, and generating the data, we will have gaps forever. We've had gaps forever, even in the most efficient um, traditional financial markets. So to expect in a new challenging market data set that we're not going to have that gaps persisting for over 10 years, I think is very naive. So um, the, the next big awareness is my expectation is that the banks will suddenly latch on to, we're not going to be able to make business decisions. Forget reporting. We're not going to be able to make business decisions if we don't have some proxies for these gaps. And that's what will drive the gap, probably business decisions more than reporting. Yeah, and that proxies uh, are used for reporting. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That link to corporate performance um, is is the is a driver to get this right for the um, institutions um, because ESG, you know, broadens out that. Uh, reporting to stakeholders from financial, which they're traditionally done, to non-financial. Um, and it certainly is a key measurement uh, for uh, a lot of stakeholders, you know, whether they're, you know, shareholders and ins insurers and lenders. Um, so it, it it's, it's key. And I think that will drive um, adoption you mentioned earlier about the distributed model that you think that uh, needs to to happen. And I know First Derivatives is doing a, a lot of work um, and working with uh, institutions. 
Um, can you walk us through some of the work that you're doing? For, for the distribution of data? You yeah, well, um, I, I understand that you're you're working on your taxonomy um, and a utility model. Yes, so the, 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 the work has centered around collaboration in the market. Um, for, this is a perfect storm where competitors see the merits of collaborating for baseline data. Baseline data isn't a competitive advantage, it's what you do with it. And by, by positioning it like that, we found that there are very large numbers of um, firms that whilst they're directly competing in their own markets, see a huge benefit in collaborating on the foundational taxonomies and interpretation. So we, we actually took the initiative to bring together the first technology cohort, uh, around 10 or 15 firms, to work on uh, an open source sustainable finance taxonomy. Um, and the objective there is to create open source data models of the regulations and have them peer reviewed. Now, this might sound quite basic, but it's rather shocking when you look at it. There is no regulatory data model that has been commonly shared by the banks. They all develop their own, they all duplicate the effort, and they waste a huge amount of human capital doing so. Then once they've done it, it has very little peer review internally, and it has no peer review by um, a competing bank. So we, play, we posited the idea that if two or three banks came together and collaborated on a data model and iterated on that data model, then ultimately they could present that data model back to the regulator and say, as a cohort, we're, we're all agreeing we're going to use the same data model to report to you. Now, that, that would be a huge breakthrough. Um, when we look at other major regulations and trying to capture risk, which this is all about, um, the major one was the BCBS 239, the Bar Committee on Risk Aggregation. Now, even there, there was no peer review of the data models. It was individual banks' data models. So we, we think this would be quite significant. It's, it's open source sustainable finance taxonomy. Um, we've started with the, with the technology firms. We're now working with asset management cohorts, mm -hmm. bank cohorts in different geographies, and um, soon, hopefully, um, insurance groups as well. The other thing that we've learned a lot from is watch, is looking at how open source generally has evolved. Um, Red Hat is one of the biggest technology firms ever to um, implement open source, teaches us a huge amount of, of how to do this well. And then there are a series of projects out there, such as Open Source Climate, which is developing climate models, and uh, data commons for the input parameters uh, for those for those models. Um, it's still early days, but it's absolutely clear to me that there is a huge willingness and desire uh, of firms to collaborate in a way they've not done previously. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear because um, that they don't. That to me is a prime example of not going. Um, doing the same mistakes again because yes. right like uh I mean, there was some attempt to do some utilities uh and and during mifid but i think um the sticky point was the the data and the data costs so the combination of collaboration through an open source model um seems seems to be a really good trajectory so and, and that 
that was the first step actually Donna for us towards the idea of a market utility or a market shared service if we didn't have people buying into the idea of collaborating on the taxonomies we, we wouldn't succeed at the more complicated thing of having people collaborating on defining a shared service and, and we took we took the models for that shared service um we took it from existing models people are much more com comfortable with existing models which is why I, I lean on the market data model a lot uh, and ISDA ISDA is probably one of the best examples of open source standards for the market and we looked at ISDA we looked at OS climate and then we looked at what is the best way to proceed and it was cohort by cohort so we're looking at say you know three banks in one territory, three banks in another territory, and getting them to collaborate with, with firms they understand and they're comfortable with. And the objective of that is to actually deliver a service for an absolute fraction of the price it would take them to develop themselves. We would reduce the complexity, the speed to market, and the overall cost. So, you know, the hitting home on all the things they need. And the reason why I think this type of utility services gaining traction is nobody can size the cost of this project because no one's ever done it. The software vendors who are specialists in different verticals haven't done it. The regulators haven't. The banks haven't. Uh, specialist technology engineering firms like our, ourselves haven't done it. So only by collaborating. And we, we lent on also the exchange model where exchange members sit on the risk committee. They, they have a huge influence in the pricing of the service and the type of products that are offered. Uh, and then we looked at the CCP model as well, where the uh, where people wear losses if the CCP fails. So yes. all of those things show a common interest. So we've, we've adopted existing market standards and practices to come up with a shared service model, which will be owned Ultimately, we've invited everybody, if they wish to be a co-owner, they can be a co-owner. They don't wish to be, fine. But we put everything on the table to ensure that people did not see any barrier to having a dialogue with us. Yeah, this is this is tremendous to hear. I hope I hope we can bring our membership um, to the table on this initiative. Um, it's a, um, I, I see this as, you know, really important to, get to the financial service system but like wider i mean wider implications and um and i i totally agree with your point and in terms of the cost like um you know this is about protecting our futures as well right and it shouldn't like the it it, it can't be um unattainable um yeah. so if i spoke about an area where i think are quite passionate. It's the waste that goes on in the financial system through duplication of effort. There is no value add for a thousand banks around the world to interpret the EU taxonomy. Yeah. What if what if the top 50 did it really well and shared the benefits with everybody? We'd all be better off and that capital can re be properly deployed to help with the transition. And I, I think that's that's the most pertinent issue here let's not waste money on duplication. We neither have the time nor the resources. Totally agree. So just in close out, Johnny, like you, we've talked a lot about current state um, and how, but what do you think, you know, if, 
if banks don't get on board and get their um you know get their data in order and work on their their sustainable finance programs what are the implications i i think there are there are two 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 possible outcomes if if you're not a first mover and the market doesn't move very fast anyway you can probably always jump on board and can play catch up the real risk here is what happens if the first movers are there at a time when the market really takes off and catch up just isn't possible and and my, my example there is the risks start to be realized and i coined the term the big green short for this if the risks start to be realized and certain clusters of assets start to get crushed in price and other other assets start to rise in price if you can't explain that you're well behind the curve those who have moved first will be the first movers to understand that that will have huge implications on how they then revalue and reposition the rest of their exposures in their entire book and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy the more you understand to explain the price action up and down in this transition, the more you can position your business for strength and success. Those that don't have it will fall further and far further behind and will simply be exposed to the vagaries of their books. They could accidentally make money, but they won't understand why. But the worst is in those situations when risk is really coming home and biting you, very, very infrequently do we make money. We nearly always all lose money and we lose it big time. And 2008 is probably the best example. Everybody flew blind on the lack of quality and reliability of data in mortgage-backed securities. And the damage was colossal. And I think this is of an even greater proportion. Thank you, Johnny, for sharing your insights today. Thank you listeners for joining us and tuning in. If you have a topic you want to hear about, please get in touch as we will endeavor to cover it in a future show. Stay tuned for future podcasts by subscribing to our channel, RegTech Roundup.